0: Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. And also excited that you're here because today we're kicking off the Book of Romans, a new study through this book called Romans, a pivotal book in the Bible, perhaps the most influential epistle in all of The Bible. And so for that reason, excited that you are here. Uh, A brief introduction to the book of Romans. The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul, uh, a prolific apostle. He's written much of the New Testament. Uh, He's writing to Rome in order to go visit them, let them know, hey, I'm coming. I can't wait to hang out with you and impart to you some spiritual gift as as Cheyenne just shared with us from from the scripture. Uh, There's four gospels in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, and those are known as the Gospel according to Matthew, the Gospel according to Mark. Many refer to the book of Romans as the Gospel according to Paul. Unlike the first four Gospels that document the life, the teaching, the ministry of Jesus, what the Apostle Paul does is he, he examines those and says, this is the implication of that based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ based on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ here's how that impacts you uh, the apostle paul actually answers the question for us what what difference does the gospel make in your life and in mine that's really at the heart of the gospel according to paul also known as romans in many respects this is the most important book in the new testament uh, the book of Romans has done more to influence not only great leaders in the church, but really to change the landscape of our world as we know it. Uh, men like Augustine were saved by reading the book of Romans. It was Martin Luther, as he's studying this, this book of Romans, that, that he gets this, this glimpse of God's radical, radical grace, this, this idea of like salvation. It's not something I earn, but salvation's by grace through faith. And it compelled him to launch what we now refer to as the Protestant Reformation. Up to that point, it was the Catholic Church and the Catholic Church alone, but now uh, it changed the landscape of the world as we know it, as we, we are a variety of churches, us being one of those Protestant churches. It also influenced John Wesley. You may have heard of the Methodist Church. John Wesley was saved by reading the Book of Romans. So this is an amazing, amazing book full of life-changing truth. And as we look at Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 17, we're going to see Paul give an introduction as he typically does. He's going to declare his intentions to, hey, I'm, I'm coming to Rome. We'd love to visit with you. Uh, but then he jumps right into the gospel. And what I'm going to do today, as we make our way through these first six, uh, 17 verses, rather, we're going to say, say just examine what's at the heart of this? Like, if we could boil Romans down to, to, to just one big thought, what's at the heart of the book of Romans? And at the heart of Romans is the gospel. The gospel account. And so Paul's purpose is writing them, hey, I'm coming. Also let them know, hey, I want you to know the gospel because there's been rumors and and some teaching that's uh, contrary to what, what Paul believes is true of the gospel. So he writes just to lay out, here's what the gospel really is. And then he addresses some uh, wrong attitudes in the church towards Jews and Gentile. But uh, at the heart of the gospel, what is the gospel? The gospel is good news. If someone ever asks, hey, what's, what's the gospel about? Well, the gospel is the good news. And I would suggest it's not just good news, but rather the best news we've ever heard. And as, as we look at this, what my hope is that as we examine the gospel, as we think about it, for some of us, as we discover the gospel for the first time, for others, as we rediscover the magnitude of the gospel as we marvel at it that we'd also be compelled to share it not just to to, to digest it ourselves but to talk to other people about it because good news is always meant to be shared uh, the problem for most people inside the church and certainly outside the church is that we we don't have a, a practical or a basic understanding of what what the gospel is really all about we don't really under- Understand it uh, christianity at its core the essence of christianity is is good news Christianity is really just the gospel being lived out by people So so if you're a christian what that means is you're a person who understands the gospel and You're actually living out the gospel and at its core that is very good news and for many people I think in our culture today. We've boiled down. We've reduced christianity from good news to good advice Whenever you think about what's the essence of Christianity, is it really good news or is it just good advice? So people would say, I think the essence of Christianity is being a good person. Well, that's not good news. That's good advice. I think, I think the essence of Christianity is, is being loving towards everyone. Everyone's included. Well, that's not necessarily good news. That's just good advice. I think the essence of Christianity is being a part of community where you can do life with people. Well, that's not necessarily good news. That's, that's, that's good advice. But I would suggest to you that we cannot do any of those things to the degree that God would desire for us to until we grasp, attain what is the essence of Christianity and what is at the heart of the gospel. It would be very hard for me to love people the way God asked me to if I don't understand how he first loved me. It would be hard for me to be inclusive of everyone if I don't realize at one point I was an outcast. It would be very hard for me to do life with people, to be vulnerable with people if my identity is not anchored in something beyond me. Because if my identity is anchored in what you think about me, then I'm never going to open up and be real and honest with you. But if my identity is from God, then I can now be a part of this community. And at the heart of all those things is an understanding of the God's gospel of Jesus Christ and that is it's good news and so we're going to talk about the good news and and I think uh, some scholars have said this if you could boil down the book of Romans the entire book of Romans and all its complexities the book of Romans is a is is a is a deep into the pool type stuff he's just talking about the gospel but the implications of or enormous and so he's gonna we're gonna have to put on our thinking caps through this study we're gonna have to to wrestle with some some logical reasoning and some some deep theological truths through the book of Romans But if we could boil it down in its simplest form, it's found in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. So what I wanted to do is just invite you to to stand up with me. Let's stand as we honor God's word, and I'll also allow you to stretch out your legs. So uh, it'll be good. Whenever we get to the word that's highlighted in red, I invite you to read that out loud. I'll read the other words you read, you read those words. So here's what Paul says, and this is really the book of Romans boiled down in two verses. He says this, I'm not ashamed of the... Because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. God, I pray you'd speak to your church today through your word that we'd understand the gospel that is so paramount to this gathering so paramount in the life of every individual that's on the face of the planet right now. So Jesus, would you speak to your church today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before you're, as you're being seated, why don't you turn to someone, give them a high five and say, that's good news. We got good news. We got good news. All right, so now for the remainder of this series, really the remainder of the letter to the book of, of Rome, to the, the church in Rome, Paul's gonna be unpacking what he just made in this statement in verses 16 and 17. And at the heart of it, again, is, is the gospel. And at the heart of the gospel, it's good news. So i want to give you six truths from the first 17 verses in, in, to the, the book of, of Romans, six truths about the good news, about the gospel. So the first truth is this, uh, the gospel is from God. The gospel is from God. If you're taking notes, this is where they, this is where they begin. Uh, Romans 1, verse 1, Paul writes this. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. In other words, like, Paul didn't just invent the gospel. Paul didn't write to the church in Rome and said, hey, I got this, this amazing idea I want to share with you. Like, the, the gospel was not an idea by, by the apostles. Like, like, it wasn't contrived of man. The gospel is from God. 144 times throughout this book to the, the church in, in Rome, Paul's going to reference God. 144 times, highlighting that God is the one who originated, who came up with the idea of the gospel, because the gospel is a message from God about God. Uh, verse 2, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in Holy Scripture. In other words, it, it wasn't just an afterthought. He thought about this years in advance. He was speaking through prophets long ago so that whenever Jesus came onto the scene, it would be like, here it is, the fulfillment of what has been talked about from prophets throughout the ages. It highlights for us that God, the theologians have this term, that God is omniscient. And so, Jesus, God is, is outside of time. He's outside of space. He sees all things simultaneously, equally, and effortlessly. That's hard for us to fathom. That's, that, that makes my brain hurt when I think about that, that reality. But before the creation of the world, he had the gospel in mind. He knew how much he would love you individually, how he'd love mankind as a whole. He knew mankind would need to be rescued, would need to be saved from ourselves. He knew that there would be a need for for forgiveness and he had the gospel in mind. We get a sense of this in the book of Ephesians as Paul, again, is writing to another church, a a weighty letter uh, to the church of Ephesus. So Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 6 says this, how blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He is the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessings in him. Check this out. Long before he laid the earth's foundation, he had us in mind. I want you to think about that. Let that sit for a moment. Before God created the universe, before he spoke the stars into existence, he was thinking about you. He had you on his mind. And if he had you on his mind before the creation of time and space, don't you think he'd love you enough to help you in that situation you're wrestling with? Don't don't you think he'd love you enough to say, hey, I I see them. I'm going to intervene in them. But before he laid the foundation of the earth, he had you on his mind. He had plans for your creation. He had plans for your salvation. He, He settled on us the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. This is an awesome reality about God and how God views you and views humanity. Before you were born, he had plans for you. Now that you're alive, he has plans for your life. And in God's infinite wisdom, he has plans for your eternity and preparing a place for you he wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his son, his beloved son. So the gospel, like before the earth's foundation, it, it, it was originated in the mind of God. The gospel is from God. Second observation is the gospel is all about Jesus. The gospel is all about Jesus. And uh, if you're fairly new to church, like usually the correct answer is Jesus. Like the gospel is Jesus. It all centers there. All about Jesus, The gospel is about Jesus. And, and, and so you're like, "Well, I thought the gospel like, impacts me." Well, 100 percent, the gospel impacts you. The, the gospel-like impacts us in tremendous ways. But that's not what the gospel is all about. It's really all about Jesus, and we get to experience the benefits of that. Romans 1, three through four, regarding his son. Uh, who in his earthly uh, human nature was a descendant of David. Now, you might say, well, what does that, what does that mean, or why do we care about that? Well, well if you, some of Israel's history, like David was the, the, the best king Israel ever had, and God made David a promise saying, hey, there's always gonna be a member of your family line on the throne forever, and David was known as like a man after God's own heart, and so Paul's just, just drawing on that promise from Old Testament saying, hey, he, he, Jesus checks the box, From a legal standpoint, he checks the box. And he says, from a spiritual standpoint, who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he's saying, according to his human nature, descendant of David, rightful heir to the throne, but according to the Spirit of God, like, like this is why he's able to be declared God. Because you might remember, like Jesus in his teaching, he said, Hey, I and the Father, like we're we're one. Like Jesus claimed to be God. He said, When you see the fa- when you, you see me, you see the Father. They're one in essence. They're 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 one in the same. And so nobody can make that claim unless they really are God. Or I guess you can make the claim, but But eventually, once you're crucified, like you're dead. And so that's what Paul's saying. He was declared to be with power, to be the the son of God. How? By his resurrection. So once Jesus defeated the grave and rose again, we're like, hey, well, this isn't just a good teacher. This isn't just a prophet. There's something different about Jesus. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Like God, very God in the flesh. And so the gospel is all all about Jesus. He was born that you might have hope. He was crucified that you can experience forgiveness. He was resurrected so that now, right now, you could experience resurrection power. And because of God's spirit actively working in our lives, it gives us confidence that whenever our fleshly bodies wear out, that we'll experience a resurrection from the dead as well, just as he did. And that is good news. I want you to notice that not only is the gospel all about Jesus, But I want you to know like you can experience the best news. And if once we get a grasp of like the best news and we really begin to understand what's at the heart of the gospel, it compels us to share the good news, to share with people that we know. And there's a lot of reasons why people Talk about Jesus. There's a lot of reasons why people share their faith. Uh, One reason is the the Great Commission. Uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 28, like before he ascends into heaven, he says, Hey, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples and, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded. And certainly, one of our motivating forces to, to go and to tell people about Jesus is like we've been commissioned to. Like it's an expectation that Jesus has of us. and not just a, a great suggestion. It's a, it's a great commission. And that's certainly a motivating factor. But I don't think that's what's currently motivating Paul. Uh, some people talk about compassion for people as a motivation for, for sharing their faith. Because if we really do believe in a literal hell, that apart from Jesus, that people that we love, people that we interact with on a regular basis are going to an eternal Hell, like that, that's compassion for people. Motivate us to say, hey, there's a way out. Like you don't have to experience, that doesn't have to be true of you. Like, like that's certainly a motivating factor, but that's not what motivates Paul. So why does Paul so motivated? Why is he motivated after 25 years of ministry to travel to Rome to talk with them about the gospel? What, what motivates Paul to share his faith with hundreds and hundreds of people? What motivates Paul to, to plant churches? What motivates Paul after like being beaten, like nearly dead? killed for his faith after being imprisoned for all these years. What motivates Paul to keep going? Chapter 1, verse 5, he says, through him and for his namesake. For the sake of his name. Paul's like, I'm doing this. I just do it for his namesake. I realize what he's done. And for the sake of your name, Jesus, would you be made famous? I love the ESV. He says, for the sake of his name among the nations. He realizes, God, you're worthy of it all, like we just sang. He realizes, God, you're holy, you're powerful, you're glorious, you're magnificent, you're awesome, and I'm doing it for the sake of, of your name. We get a, a sense of the power of, of the name that, that Paul's referring to here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. He says, it says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him, there it is, the name. That's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He says, I'm I'm motivated. Jesus, I just want to serve you. I'm doing this for the sake of of your name. And So the gospel is all about God and and the gospel is all about, it's from God, it's, it's, it's all about Jesus. The third observation is that the gospel produces obedience. The gospel produces obedience. Romans 1 verse 5, through him and for his namesake we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among the Gentiles to obedience that comes through faith. Notice it's obedience that comes through faith, not not obedience that comes through the law or like uh, like just some strict like religious uh, doctrine. He says, no, no, like I put my, uh, obedience comes through faith. Like God, I realize all you've done and Jesus, I just wanna be obedient to you. And There's something about whenever we grasp the gospel, when we we really surrender our lives to Jesus, that there's this internal motivation just to do, God, I just want to do what what, what pleases you. We don't reduce the gospel down to a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts. We just want to live a life that's pleasing him. The gospel compels us not to allow our theology to drift towards our behavior. Uh, We live in a, a day and age where we we say, "Hey, my behavior is this way, so I need to find like a, a chapter and verse to support my behavior," but but the gospel compels us to say, "No, like, what does your word say? I'm going to align my behavior to whatever the gospel says. I'm gonna align my theology." I'm align my behavior to my theology and not the other way around. I've been reading a, a book uh, by uh, it's a biography on Smith Wigglesworth. I don't know if you ever heard of the name Smith Wigglesworth, but but he was this dude who like God used to do some crazy things, uh, like like crazy healings, like crazy miracles, and uh, just a real giant of the faith. And so it's been super encouraging to me. Uh, I, you might check him out. But but Smith Wigglesworth had this saying, this this conviction, and here here it is. He says, he said God said it, I believe it. That settles it. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. So on any topic that you can think of, like if God's word speaks to it, well, that settles it. I believe it because God God already said it. And I think a life lived with that mindset is what compelled, what allowed Smith Wigglesworth to live such a dynamic life that impacted so many people that we all aspire to as well. There's power in the gospel that gives us the ability to recalibrate our life to a true north it it resets our our compass to what really pleases God and what really allows us to thrive in in life fourth observation fourth observation the gospel is for everyone everyone the gospel is for you regardless of what your past may be or what your present situation might look like regardless of your heritage regardless of your pedigree no matter where you are, the gospel's for everyone. Romans 1.5, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to obedience that comes through faith. Again, the ESV, for the sake of his name among the nations, everyone. Gentiles would be anyone that's not Jewish. So unless you're from Jewish descent, uh, this includes you. And so, so I'm thankful that the gospel's for, for everyone. Uh, that includes us Americans. But the gospel's not limited to Americans. The gospel's not limited to Israel. It's not limited to a geographic region. The gospel's for, for everyone. And that's what Paul is saying. He echoes this in Romans one fourteen through 15. He says this, he says, for I'm un- under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians. In other words, at this time, Greeks were the most civilized society in the known world at the time. So he says, I'm, 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 I'm obligated to civilized people and to barbaric people. In other words, it's for everyone. I'm obligated to both the wise and the foolish, those who have Ivy League educations and those that have never stepped the foot in a classroom in their entire life. Smart people and... And everyone, everyone. Um, So I'm obligated. So I'm eager to preach the the, the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The gospel is for everyone. I thought it was interesting that Paul chose this word. He says, I'm under obligation. Now, now Paul's been like planting churches. Paul's been like a hero of the faith. Like Paul's done extraordinary things up to this point in his life, but he still feels a sense of obligation. And I, w- I wonder why that is. Like, why, is, why does Paul say I'm obligated? I think people are obligated for one of two reasons. Uh, one reason would be if you borrowed something. If you borrowed something, you're obligated to return it. If you borrowed a tool, uh, my dad would say, hey, make the tool cleaner and better, then return it. Like, you're obligated to do that. If you get a, a loan from the bank, you're obligated to pay off pay off the loan. And so if someone has given you something, then you're obligated to repay it. Another reason we could be obligated is if someone has given you something that's intended for someone else. There's a sense of obligation. And so if, if I were to give Jonathan a million dollars and say, Jonathan, here's a, a briefcase with a million dollars and uh, I'm giving it to you, but, but I'm asking you to give it to Steve. And so you, the moment you accept that, You're under obligation, right? Because it's not your money. Now, there's a whole lot of things that you'd probably like to do with that money. There's a whole lot of things you'd like to just use it for yourself, probably, right? Like, I I probably would be in that camp. Uh, But you're under obligation. Why? Because it's not intended for you. It's intended for Steve. And therefore, you're under obligation. You just got a million bucks, Steve. Congratulations. (laughs) In that sense, God has something, I think the reason Paul says this, Is because in that sense, Paul knows God has given him something that is worth far more than any earthly value that we could place on it. And and while while he might want to just relish in the gospel himself and just marvel at God's radical grace in his life, he realizes that the gospel isn't just for him, but the gospel's for everyone. Therefore, he's obligated to share it. In that sense, God has deposited something in each one of us if we understand the gospel, if we're followers of Jesus, he's given us something of immense value and it's not just for us, it's for everyone. And unless we're sharing the gospel, then we're withholding from them something that God intends for them to have. You with me? Yeah, okay, good. Um, (laughs) So God's given us the gospel, he's given it to us to share because the gospel's for everyone. Fifth, uh, the gospel is God's power. The gospel is God's power. One of the most prolific verses in all of the Bible, Romans one sixteen, says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why, why is that? Now, again, Paul's going to unpack that throughout this whole, whole letter. But as he's headed to Rome, he's headed to the epicenter of the known world at the time. It, it, Rome was where the greatest philosophers reside. Rome was where the most prolific teachers were. People that were, were literally shaping the world as they knew it were, were there in, in Rome. It was the hub of new ideas and innovation that was, was changing the world at this time. In a lot of ways, it's not an exaggeration to say that, that it was similar to like Silicon Valley is today. Like a lot of innovation, a lot of world-changing ideas coming out of this place. And Paul just declares as he's headed to Rome, he's like, I want you to know when I come, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of of the gospel. He's not asking, hey, what would they think? What would they say? Well, how would they respond? He says, no, nah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to tell people, I'm going to tell people the good news. I'm going to tell people about the power of God. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. When you give someone the gospel, you, you're giving them the, the power of God. You're giving them access to God. I would suggest one million years from now, when you reflect back over your life, you think about what, what's the most powerful thing that God has ever done in, in, throughout history. I think you would have to land on it's the gospel because it changes your eternity. It changes your destiny. It impacts you today. It gives you power for the day today. You can, you can experience his presence right here, right now, but it, it alters not only your life today, but all of eternity. And I can't think of anything more profound, more powerful than that. And that's where the gospel is. It's the, the power of God. And therefore, Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. So just a quick question. It begs a question as we read that. Paul says, hey, I'm not ashamed. My question is, Tim, where are you at on that? And my question to you is, where, where are you at on that? And I think we'd certainly in a space like this, we would want to say like, hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But, but I think the proof is how many people have we told the gospel to this week? How many people have we, we shared good news with? And I think that will give us a little bit of an idea of, of where we land on that topic. And Paul's just like radical. He's like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. Now, salvation, it could be uh, deliverance. Salvation is, uh, carries this idea of, of rescue from danger. But more than that, it includes like a, a wholeness, in other words, like, until we experience salvation, we, we can't experience the wholeness that God has for our life. Uh, salvation is where we begin to be restored back to our, our created intent. Like, God created you with such purpose, w- with intentional design. Uh, but, but part of the rescue mission is rescuing us from ourselves. Like, he deals with our sin, but then, then internally we have to begin to process, like, like to live life according to, to God's original plan, and salvation is where all that starts. So whenever you share the gospel, you're inviting people to experience a wholeness in their life that they would not experience any other way. So he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. The gospel is God's power in verbal form. It changes, changes lives. And for many of us, we say, well, I, I just don't think I'm, I don't think I'm equipped to do that. Uh, maybe I'm not ar- articulate as I would like to be. Um, John Bunyan, he said this, uh, not the guy with the big blue ox, but like a, a preacher, it's Paul Bunyan. John Bunyan, uh, a preacher, he said this, he said, it's not about the gospel, it's not about the gospeler. In other words, it's not about the person, it's about the gospel. And so, so it's never. Whenever the students were at Great America and, and sharing the gospel with people, it wasn't because they were powerful that, that 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 gospel took root. It's because the gospel's powerful. So whenever you share the gospel, it's not not so much about how you feel or like like how how great you are. It's it's really just the power of the gospel on display. And for that, I don't know about you, but it, it motivates me it's because I know it's not about me. It's about. It's about the gospel. The gospel is God's power in verbal form, and as you're saying it, there's power. There's power to move a person from darkness into light. There's there's power to set people free from the chains of hell. There's power to clear up sin's pollution. There's power to move people from a position of divine judgment to a position of sons and daughters of the king in the kingdom. The gospel is powerful. Lastly, the gospel produces righteousness. Final thing, and if you've been toned out thus far, I invite you to tune back in for the sixth one because this is really where the rubber meets the road. The gospel produces righteousness, and this is amazing because without righteousness, all of us, everyone here in the room, is facing a debt that we cannot personally repay. But the gospel produces a righteousness. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Like, like God has a standard. And here's the truth. Like, I haven't kept it. Like, like, you haven't kept it. Like, we've all fallen short of that. Like, how many people have, like, always honored your mother and father throughout your life? No. Like, how many of us have never told a lie? Like, like, all of us. Like, God has a standard, and we've missed it. And because God has set into our, our world <laughs> eternal commands, that when we violate them, it, it, it requires eternal, eternal judgment. And, and so Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin, like, the result of that is is death and certainly a physical death. The reason that, that, that we die physically, the reason that we live in a broken humanity, the answer to the question, why do bad things happen to good people? In one word is right here, sin. And, and Paul's gonna talk about that in Romans chapter five and we're gonna, we're gonna get there. But, but what he's saying here is the result of you and I breaking eternal commands is not just a temporary physical death, but an eternal, eternal death. Because righteousness is required, so we're all in a bad situation. We're all in situations that, that we're without a whole lot of hope. And so the big question is, how can we be made right with God? How can we experience righteousness? A lot of people would say, well, I think I'm a good person. And so they'd say, yeah, I've, I've done some, some dumb stuff, but, but I think if I'm good, like I can balance the scales so like whenever I stand before God, it'd be like, yeah, you're, you're good, come on in. But that's just a, a perverted understanding of what, what justice is and what that means. And so, so if you've committed a crime, you, you can't get off the hook. Like if you say, hey, judge, I think you're a good judge. Even though I committed the crime, uh, I've, I've helped old people across the street. I've, I've been generous. I go to Central Christian Church. I do this stuff. He's going to say, yeah, but because I'm a just judge, we have to deal with this. And there's consequences, right? And same with God, even more so with God. And so there has to be someone to step in to take the penalty for the crime you committed. And so Romans 1.17 says this, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so the gospel, it produces, it reveals a righteousness that all of us desperately need. You might say, well, how does that work? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. You say, well, wait, does that mean like, did Jesus sin? No, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, saying God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So in other words, on the cross, here's how this works. He sees me in my brokenness, all my sin. He sees you, everything you've ever done. And in that moment, he lifts the sin off my shoulders and off yours, and he places it on Jesus. And in that moment on the cross cross, God treats Jesus like your sin deserves. So Jesus didn't sin, but, but God placed your sin on him, and on the cross, God treats Jesus like your sins deserve, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You say, what does that mean? Well, because on the cross, God treated Jesus like your sins deserve. Now, when God sees you clothed in the righteousness of Christ, now he treats you as only Jesus deserves. And that's good news. Because it means it's not contingent on you. It's not not contingent on me. And I don't know about you, but, but I've done some screwed up stuff. And so if he treats me like I deserve, I know what I deserve. But when I think about what Jesus deserves, It motivates me to say, God, if you view me like that, then I can come boldly to the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy to help me in my time of need. God, if you view me, if you treat me like you treat Jesus, now I understand there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, I've been set free from that. Why? Because now God treats me like only Jesus deserves. And all that takes place because God treated Jesus like your sins deserve on the cross. And therefore, a righteousness begins to be revealed and hope begins to be restored. And confidence, knowing that whenever whenever this earthly body wears out and I stand before God, it won't have anything to do with anything I've done, but it has everything to do with what Jesus has done because now I can stand before him as the righteousness of God because he sees me and treats me like Jesus deserves. And I don't know about you, I think that's the best news I've ever heard. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that reveals to us, God, not just practically how to live in this life, but God, practically how to have a relationship with you that impacts not only our life, but all of eternity. So God, we thank you for the gospel. God, what a brilliant idea, a brilliant reality that was formed, originated in your mind not in human understanding, God. I pray, Jesus, for, for us, Lord, your church, that God, you'd help us to grasp that, the reality, the magnitude of the gospel. Jesus, we thank you for, for bearing the penalty of my sin, of our sin, so that now, God, positionally, we can, you view us, God, as the righteousness of God. What an amazing, amazing reality. May we never stop marveling at that. Would you give us fresh insight to grasp that? and to live from that posture, I pray. to continue in a posture of prayer with your heads bowed and eyes closed, it would be wrong for me not to give an invitation for you to embrace the gospel. And, and the way you do that, Paul would write in Romans 10 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in the, your heart that God raised him from the dead, that, that you can be saved. In other words, saved from all your past, all your mistakes. Your, your, your rap sheet can be erased, sins expunged. The Bible says it can be removed as far as the East is from the West. But the way that you experience that is by putting your faith in Jesus and believing that on the cross, God treated Jesus as only your sin deserves. That now today, by faith in that, you can have a relationship with God and experience the goodness of God as only Jesus deserves. And so, if that's where you are and you say, Hey, I, I'm in on that, like, I, wanna, I, want, I want that. I, I, God, I realize you gave your life for me. Therefore, God, today I want to give my life to you. If that's where you're at, it'd be my joy to lead you in a prayer, just talking to God and confessing that to Him. So, if that's where you're at, just say something along these lines. Say, God, I realize I've made a lot of mistakes. I realize I've sinned. And God, today I understand that that sin has separated me from you. But, God, I, I've heard some good news. I don't have to stay stuck in that space. Jesus, I I believe because on the cross, you paid the penalty for my sin. Thank you for that. And God, I'm thankful it didn't just end on a cross, but God, you rose again, Jesus. And so, so I believe that. And Jesus, because you gave your life for me, today I'm giving my life to you. You can have it all that's your prayer today, I'd love to pray for you before we get out of here. So as you guys continue to pray with your heads bowed, eyes closed. If that's where you're at, just slip up your hand. I'd love to pray for you if that's where you are. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Yeah, thanks, 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 Well, Jesus, you see hands lifted up to you all across this room. And so God, I, I, I just thank you, God, for the faith that you're giving them now to take a step towards you. God, I pray right now that they would embrace the fact that because of their faith in you, you have removed their sin. That there is no condemnation over their life. That, God, they're free to have a relationship with you. They can know you. They can talk to you. They can hear from you, God. I pray that would be their experience, Lord. I pray Jesus, you would allow courageous faith to rise in their heart. To know just how good, how gracious, how loving you are towards them, God. May they, they feel the reality of your forgiveness in their life today. In Jesus' name, amen. That's awesome. Hey, let's give it up for people that made that spiritual commitment.